Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. So we've had, now we've had three stories, three parts of the story and now we're looking at the end of it. But a little bit of background might be helpful. This is the Bible college lecturer and university lecturer coming out in me. I apologise for that up front. But it just gives you a little bit of the, the, the frame in which we can look at this. This book of Ruth is actually part of uh, the series, the, the wider book called Judges. Don't you've ever heard of that one? Um, it actually belongs with Judges, belongs to the same period. Judges covered a, a time of about 200 years and the story of Ruth is one generation within that 200 years. It's, Judges is one of the larger books of the Old Testament whereas you've got Ruth is just a small part of it. Judges talked about the whole of Israel whereas Ruth just talked about one family in one town. But it's a rich story because you have the classic human story of loss and out of loss, loyalty and love and hope and line. It's a great story. Loss for Naomi, loyalty in Ruth, love in the freely given by the kinsman redeemer and the line, the promise, the hope. One of the things that you might hold in your own life to be important is your generations, the generations to which you belong. That was in emphatically a big issue for Jews. For them to know a person, you first found out whose son he was or she, whose father was her father and so on. So that would be a really important part. You wouldn't know someone without knowing their family tree. And that's why both Matthew and Luke, when they're introducing Jesus to us, tell us the story of their generations, where they fit in the story of God. All right? So um, here he find, we find a, a story which has all these lovely human elements in it. And so let's try and figure out, well, what is God doing in this story? What is God doing? So let's back up and go back to the book of Judges and just look at the last verse. Because the last verse tells us what the situation was and what Ruth, the book of Ruth, is dealing with. In Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so once you know the whole story and the situation then, you begin to see what God is trying to do in the story of Ruth. What God is actually preparing is a royal line for a king. But it turns out he was doing far more than that. It turns out he was creating a family tree for someone who would be known by the name in Hebrew, Yeshua. It turns out that this wasn't just 
a family for Naomi and a, a husband for Ruth. It was a royal line for a king. And not just David, but the king of kings. The one who would come, of whom it was said, he is both, he is both God and man. He is the, to use John's phrase, do you remember at the start of the John's Gospel? The word made flesh. Yes, this was interesting. So all that time back, you see what God is doing in the background of Ruth. He's not advertising, oh, by the way, I'm creating a royal line here for my son. But that is what he was doing. And so now we know a little bit of where it fits. And we know a little bit of what God was doing. And we can pull the story forward and begin to look at the human beings involved in it and learn some good lessons. He was bringing a precious thing out of pain, out of loss, out of devastation. Every one of us in this room, I think, will have been touched by pain and loss and devastation. Though it happened many years ago, I remember still the day that my wife rang me to tell me my father had died in a motor vehicle accident. Oh boy, that's pain, isn't it? You, you know pain like that? The devastation of that? What man or woman would not feel the devastation of such loss or maybe the betrayal of a husband or wife? I mean, this is not straightforward stuff, is it? We experience pain and loss. And so in Ruth, we see out of this loss and devastation is coming something which, which is not making sense of it in the sense of saying, oh, now I see why God was punishing me. It just doesn't happen like that. There is no way that I can be happy with the, the thought that God was punishing Naomi so he could create a royal line. doesn't happen like that. He is not like that. In fact, the good news is, ah, I thought I'd mention this today, so I'll mention it now. The good news is God as we have heard him and know him by that name, God, he's actually like Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, he, Jesus, is the exact representation of his God's being. Isn't that wonderful? Now I know what God's like because I can read in the Gospels. That's a good reason why you should read the Gospels. Are you reading the Gospels? Well, okay, you don't have to confess anything, but may I urge you to read the Gospels? If, you, if you're kind of saying, oh, I'm not a good reader, how many times have I been told that as a pastor? Have you tried reading the Word of God? Well, I'm not a good reader. Well, read this because your life depends on it. So we read the Gospels, all right? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The more you see of Jesus there, the more familiar will be, you will be with what God is like, all right? You want to know what God's like? Read the Gospels because they'll tell you what he's like because they'll be telling you the story of Jesus who is exact representation. In doing stories like this, and Ruth is, a, is an example of that, we remember the apostles' teaching. We know, remember this verse? We know that all things, say it with me, all things. How many things? All things. Ooh, now that doesn't leave much room for exceptions. 
right? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How good is that? I mean, you could really whoop glory for that one. Oh, it's just, you feel the joy of it. No, seriously, all things? Well, that's what the, the apostle said. All things work together for good. And again, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. That's what God's like. And out of loss and alienation and devastation and sorrow and a sense of having been abandoned. Because if you remember, what did, what, what did Naomi say? Don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Ooh, ever felt like that? Oh, come on. Yeah? You ever felt bitter? Yeah, of course. You know what bitter is, right? You just want to punch someone. Oh, I can't do that. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Dang, we've got to resign just for a month, punch them and then come back. You know? oh, we, we are human beings, right? We've got to wrestle with these things. And, and uh, out of all of this, God is beginning to bring this, this amazing thing. Out of being abandoned, out of loss, God is bringing a name and a line and a promise, and a covenant, and great joy. And if you were listening to the testimonies this morning, you'd have heard that he's begun to do that in two of the women that are in our service today. I mean, seriously, he's begun to do that. It's not done overnight. Or to use the, the New Zealanders' phrase, it's not going to hippen overnight, but it is going to hippen, <laughs> Right? So there's a lifetime in which that change is beginning to be complete. Isn't that true? And we saw that and heard that in their testimonies. And I was going, oh, that's so good. Hallelujah. I said to someone uh, in the break, I said, you never get sick of a good baptism, do you? Because <laughs> a great story. Jesus has done something. Whoa, so good. So congratulations. Thank you for letting us watch. Yeah, watching someone push you underwater in public. Yeah. <laughs> Who's picking that? Oh, look, I just love that sort of, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, they know. I, my wife and I got baptised in the Murrumbidgee River in winter down by Canberra. Yeah, we are real disciples. <laughs> but it's a great story. It tells us a lot about what God is doing and, and what he does generally. But... As we come to the story now, we realise there's still the question of whether the kinsman redeemer, the one who had the right ahead of Boaz, would actually take his rightful place. So Boaz heads to the main gates. That's where all the business is done in, um, at the town. And he gets the city elders together and they sit down. and Because this is the meeting where the city elders would decide things like inheritance and law and moral questions, and so on. They would all be decided there. And people, people would actually gather around to hear what was being decided and adjudicated. And um, I don't know whether you've ever seen the Amish, right? Any, anything of the Amish people, they do it very similarly. A group of elders meet, they meet in public, they examine all matters that are raised before them, and they make decisions 
for the whole community. And this is what was happening at the city gates of Bethlehem. So Boaz waits there for the kinsman redeemer to come by. Eventually he does come by. And he proposed the question of the inheritance to him in public there before the elders and everybody else that was gathered. Now everyone knew in that little village that Elimelech's land was still Elimelech's land. You try saying that three times very fast. Elimelech, yeah, okay. So everybody knew that Elimelech's land was still Elimelech's land. It had not been touched we remember that Elimelech was Naomi's husband who had died in Moab. The land had probably been fallow for quite a number of years. And it would have included a small home adjacent to the field, right on the edge of the village. Because that's where the people who did that kind of work, they lived right on the edge of the village. A home adjacent to the land they were working. But no one could touch the land. No, it, it was, the law was you could not touch the land until one of two things happened. One, if there was no one of the family at the time of Jubilee, then the land could revert automatically to the next person in the family who had that right. Or, or someone from the family appeared or was present who would be redeemed by a kinsman. That's why we call him a kinsman redeemer. Right? Now we know the situation now that, that has happened is that uh, we know now that uh, it's not Jubilee and the, he, the, the matter is being weighed is, is a little complex because Naomi is present and she has a foreign daughter-in-law, but she has no son, and she has no grandson either, who could um, take that inheritance. It's a slightly complex matter to be resolved. The law did not allow Naomi to inherit, but the law said that if the kinsman redeemer wanted to redeem the land, he could do so, but it was a package deal, and you had to... You got the land, but you also got the surviving wife or wife of the son, and you needed to marry them to continue their name. Now, I know you're thinking there, good job, we don't do that now. And I'm sure we all feel that, don't we? But in those days, that was a particular issue. Regrettably, Naomi had no right. Someone would have to redeem that for her. Now, who would it be? Boaz wanted to do it. We already know that, right? But there's this guy who's ahead in by right, and will he do that? That's the question. And the law said what it said. You, owned, you got the land, but you also got the girl. It turned out that whilst the man knew of the land... I mean, who wouldn't if they'd been living in that little town all those years? They'd have known Elimelech has died, this land is his. I wonder how that inheritance question is going to be resolved. But then he found out there was a woman involved. There was a young woman, a foreign woman, who was involved as well. And because of the way the law was structured, she came with the land. You take the land, you marry the girl. 
and uh, this was a way of making sure that women were not left without provision and the name of the family was not lost. And so I just draw your attention to Ruth chapter 4 verse 5 and uh, this particular that you, you know here, Boaz, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name. So there you go. Would the relative do it? Well, he was all set to do it until he found out about the girl. And then verse four, chapter 4, verse 6 tells us that when he found, about the girl, found out about the girl as well, he said, I can't do it. And the reasons for this would have been that if he had married Ruth, the, the inheritance of his sons and their wives and their children would have had to have been involved as well. It wasn't a straightforward matter. So he was not prepared to pay the price of redeeming Naomi and Ruth and the land. So what would happen? Well, that was handy. I imagine Boaz must have gone, woohoo, yes, because that's exactly what I want to do. You inherit it. You redeem it, he said, um, said the guy to him, uh, and uh, you do that, and that's handy. That's what he wanted. So Boaz openly said to everyone, I am redeeming the land as the kinsman redeemer. I am by rights able to do that. I'm going to redeem the land, and I'm going to marry, and by doing this, I am marrying. Now, girls, he never even popped the question. And I'm wondering whether how, how you would feel about that. Um, by the way, some, you know, Naomi, oh, and, you know, sitting down, what's new today? Well, the land got redeemed by a kinsman redeemer and you're married now. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm sure most girls now would go, oh, sorry, no, <clears throat> not this little black duck. You know, I don't, I don't do that sort of thing. Uh, and, and so, it, it, but it's a funny thing about, about, about traditions and and uh, laws and old ways of life, and we may not see that, but that's how it was coming forward. Did the marriage happen? Yes, there was a marriage. And uh, yes, there was a child born, mentioned too as well. And suddenly Naomi, who had felt, if you remember at the early part of the story, completely abandoned by God, now feels as though she's on top of the world. A grandson. She is holding a grandson who would bear the name of the family. And the people came around her praising God in Luke chapter 4, verse 15. May the grandson be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. And it turns out that uh, the little boy was called Obed. Obed. And uh, he had a son when he grew up called Jesse. And Jesse had a son who was called David. And if you do your homework, you'll find that that line does not end until a name appears in it, which is the name above every name, the name of Jesus, the name of Yeshua. And uh, there is the family line completed by God's will and calling. It's a wonderful story. And we, we look into that, that chapter of Matthew and we see where it all comes. Several times there's a foreign woman appears in the family tree and, uh, and God was redeeming a people for himself. He called into being a royal line 
And this royal line was an interesting one because there's a scripture which is actually quoted, a prophet which is actually quoted every Christmas time. Do you remember? It's Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. It's just a little bit of geography there, don't worry. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you, out of you shall come forth to me to be a ruler in Israel whose goings on are from old, from everlasting. Remember, that's the one we use to talk about Messiah, about Yeshua, about Jesus. This is his family line. It's an amazing story about how God brings out of sorrow some answers and some responses. But the big thing that Ruth talks about is that God had intended to redeem the whole world to himself. And he was not waiting for anyone to do this for him. He was coming in person. And that was starting, some of the detail of that decision was starting in Ruth. That's why we read Ruth, because it reminds us again of God's intention to create a royal line which would include his only begotten son that he could redeem as the kinsman redeemer who had the right to do so would say, yes, I will redeem it. I will redeem it. I will redeem it. It's a wonderful story. It points in so many different ways. So then the question is always begged, well, how do you apply this to our lives now? Well, Ruth is one of the earliest Gentiles to take the God of Israel as her God. Do you remember what she said when Naomi was trying to tell her to stay home with her own folks? Remember, she said, your people will be my people and your God, my God. I want you to understand that this woman grew up in Moab. <clears throat> in Moab, there was some of the darkest, darkest practices ever practiced. The sacrifice of children. You know, that's a sacrifice that is still going on today. What? The trafficking of children, my friends. It is a stain upon our humanity. It's not a national thing. It happens all over the world. It was going on in Moab all those years ago and here it is still going. We've learnt so much. We've grown so much. But some things are still going on. Oh, I pray for the day when all that is undone. Anyway, that's a little aside. But here's one of the things I think we can learn for ourselves. This woman comes out of Moab, out of great darkness. And yet, she has the leap of faith to say, your God will be my God. Now that's a huge leap of faith, guys. That's a huge leap of faith. You may not even understand it. I was talking to someone who was is a, one of the national leaders for Alpha. I don't know whether you know Skip Smith, but he's a very good fellow. If you've never met him, make it your, your aim to, to meet him. He's a very fine leader. 
Skip was telling me that in Adelaide right now there's an alpha program going on and two of the people in the alpha course at this particular church are avowed Satanists and uh, they've been in for the whole course hearing about Jesus. It's a leap of faith. It's going to be a huge leap of faith for them. It's going to be a huge leap of faith for them and it was for Ruth. Here's the thing. She makes a, is willing to make a huge leap of faith. And that's what you need to be prepared to do. If there was anyone here who has not made their peace with God, but who would say, come up to Pastor after the service and say, Pastor Dave, I want you to know that I've decided today that Jesus is my Lord and I am his disciple. And when you start to talk like that and act like that, that's when things begin to move, things begin to change. If you haven't made the decision to give, make your peace with God, then I'm going to invite you at the end of our service to come up to Dave and tell him, Dave, I'm determined that Jesus will be my Lord and I will be his disciple. And what you have just done is you have shifted the whole direction of your life. When that young woman, without any help, without any guidance, without any scripture, without any sense of what the Holy Spirit was saying, plucked up the courage to say, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, she was taking a leap of faith and God was with her. We can learn, therefore, from this that we can, if we leap like that, we will be looked after. With our knowledge of the New Testament also, we know now that our kinsman redeemer is indeed Jesus himself. And so Boaz is an early sounding of what a kinsman redeemer would do. It's a good it's a good idea when you read the whole Bible. You begin to see that ever since Exodus 6. God has been talking about his relationship with humanity as being as a bridegroom and a bride, as being as a husband and a wife, as being a covenant of intimate relationship. He's been talking like that since Exodus 6. Therefore, when he wants to tell us a story about what he's doing in the earth, he picks a story like this. Why? Because he wants you to know that God is not just doing something spiritual, he's doing something human. He's coming into our humanity. He's helping us with our humanness. Let's say you just call me up to some wonderful, exalted place. No, he's coming into my space and transforming me there. Isn't that great? That's why we call it the good news, right? And not the slightly good news, or the just a tiny bit, a tad good news. Now, this is real good news. This is why Dave gets so into it. That's why his emotion comes out, because he knows how good this is. And I love evangelists like Dave. I honour men like him and women who, who have that call on them, because they're all like that. They're just so passionate. Here, I'm the one that technically un, undoes all the Greek and the Hebrew. Dave goes, don't give me the Greek and the Hebrew. Just let me tell him about Jesus, right? Which why we love him and honour him, right? Yeah. And so we take, 
one of the things we learn is we can take a leap of faith and God is faithful. Another one is that it is an actual fact, Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer. And what he wants to do in me, he wants to do in the whole earth. I love the fact that we have just a, a little micro look into, we have people from other nations here. I love that. Oh, I want us to be better at that. I think Dave does too. I'm sure he does. We want to be the kind of church where whatever you are, you are part of what God has done and is doing. Isn't that wonderful? It's so good. And so we have the nations here. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Dave. You got my point. Dave got my point. I'm grateful. When the pastor claps, you know, I'm on good ground there. Okay, hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? So we have this, this whole of the earth thing that God wants to do. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And let me just say to you, friends, you only have to read where the Bible ends in a marriage supper. Yeah, good food. I'm serious. Good food. I reckon the Malaysians are going to be caterers for the marriage supper of the Lamb because those cats can really cook. You go to a woman's place in Malaysia for a snack, the whole table is covered. They have big tables and they have lots of food. This is a snack? Yeah. Maybe you're like that. Is anyone like that here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mother used to say that a Christmas table was not a Christmas table unless every inch was covered in food. I don't know how she did that. We would have these little plates in the middle of And God was doing and is doing a work in the whole world. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And the redeeming he offers, and this is the wonderful thing, the redeeming he offers is practical, it's real, it's human and authentic. The good news is not just that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. The good news is that he's going to start a work in you right now. And he's going to transform you, transform you in your humanity. He's going to work in every level of your humanity and he's going to make you good for the people around you. He's going to make you useful. He's going to give you purpose. And you don't even have to worry what that purpose is. You just start reaching out to the people right next to you and you begin to find it. You don't, there's not a course you can do in church. I'm here to work out what my purpose is. It would be good if there was, huh? Yeah, well, okay, right, now that's my job, I know what it is. But if you start reaching out and loving the persons right next to you, in your workplace or in your home, wherever it is, you begin to run into your purpose because the Lord's whole idea is to redeem you and to bring a, a practical and authentic humanness into you so that you are fully human and able to do, you know... <laughs> The idea of dying and going to heaven is a wonderful idea. But I'm going to tell you that the kingdom of God came to the earth. We are not saved so we can get out of here and go to heaven. We are saved so that we can change the world by the grace of God. And this is what you see in what is happening in Ruth. What Ruth was being done, she was being redeemed so that she could do something amazing in her world. And this is a, a word to every young woman. There is nothing more profoundly great 
than bringing godly offspring into the world. Nothing more amazing. You women are tremendous. I honor you. I honor you. And for those of you young ones that are still to have children, I want you to understand it is cosmically one of the most important things that we will do in the earth. And I've often said to the Lord, Lord, how come I only get to watch that process? And then I see the birth and I say, yeah, good call. (laughs) Oh, it's a wonderful thing. I honour you women. I honour you women who have brought children into the world and raised them and nurtured them. I honour you. God bless you. Thank you so much for what you've done. It's a beautiful thing. It's a human thing. It's an amazing thing. And when we love our generations, and particularly where they are redeemed and begin to live for the king, oh, how much change can come to the world. It's a real human. And so for Naomi, when the redemption happened at the hands of the kinsman redeemer, there was restored family, there was home, and there was hope. All the devastation and abandonment and sorrow was lifted off and she had now been redeemed. For Ruth, it meant a granted a place in the people of God, a name and an honour. It lifted her from having no rights to being someone who is in company with God. In like manner, when the Lord redeems you and I, his redemption provides things for us that go beyond forgiveness of sins and and everlasting life. There are things involved in the restoring of our humanness to live as we have been designed by our creator. And out of desolation comes these things sometimes. Again and again we hear the same story of God taking broken, discarded people and transforming them in human terms, lifting shame, lifting anxiety, bringing into community, giving us human hope. That's the good news. That's the good news. For does not the apostle tell us in 2 Peter 1, his divine power has given us all things, that pertain to life and godliness. So as I conclude, I ask the simple question, how then shall we live? If you haven't made your peace with God, if you haven't done that, you don't have to uh, follow any kind of particularly religious thing. But I tell you what you could do, and Dave's going to be up here so you could... You could come and see Dave if you wanted to. He, he thrives on this stuff. So, you know, <laughs> you'll make his day if you come up to him at the end while we're singing and, and say, Dave, I, I want to make Jesus my Lord and be his disciple. That's what I want. Can you help me with that? And he'll go, can I help you with that? So if you're ready to take that leap of faith, then I encourage you to take it. And I promise you this, he will not only redeem you and deal with the sin issue that has separated you from God. He'll deal with that because he's already dealt with it. Is there a hallelujah in the house? Okay. 
He will not only do that, he will start redeeming your humanity today. He'll do that because he's faithful and I've seen it. I'm the product of it as well. But if you're someone who's already done that and you're struggling, like Naomi struggled, you're feeling abandoned, you are invited to do something knowing something that was revealed by Paul to us in his letter to the Roman church. To the Roman church, Paul wrote, and you'll know these words really well, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the prayer team are going to be here to pray with you about that. But I don't want you coming forward to get a prayer to make yourself feel good. I want you to stand on your dig. I want you to stand on your digs and say, today, I want you to hear me say that this abandonment I feel does not separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This loss I feel does not separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. This pain I am constantly living with does not separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And I want you to stand like that. And this this sense of loss and betrayal, this betrayal I feel does not stand. Nothing in all creation can stand against the love of God for me, right? So I want you to come when we're singing. I want you to come if you if you've never given your life to Christ and never told him, I want you to be my Lord Jesus and I want to be your disciple, then I want you to come up and see Dave. Dave's going to be up here. I want you to come over and see Dave, shake his hand and say, Dave, I want Jesus to be my Lord and I want to be his disciple. Can you, can you get me set up? And he'll take you from there. And then the other thing, if you've been struggling with abandonment and a sense of loss, a sense of got some struggle, and you're willing to take your stand based on the Word of God, that nothing in all creation shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, you will come up to one of the prayer team and they'll smile at you. Oh, they'll smile at you. And then they'll pray for you. Don't make it a matter of your emotion. Make it a matter of repentance. No, no, no. I'm not going down that way. That's not where my life is. I'm standing on what I believe is my right. I'm standing on my right to say, nothing in all creation shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I take my stand, Lord, and he will be with you. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will do whatever he wants to do in our lives today. We pray that Jesus will be honoured and praised in our lives and in our real lives, not just the theory of it, but in our real lives day to day. Holy Spirit, come and do the work you want to do this morning. And as we sing, draw those people to come that you want for prayer and encouragement and strengthening. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.